What is going on? This is Michael Hacker with the Hacker Outdoors podcast. I am joining you today live for this introduction again. I think that went out pretty well last week. Um, today I am joined by both Brian Hacker and Joey McCormick. We talk a little bit about Joey's upcoming tournament and of course getting into ETC and prepping in general. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a comment, a like, and without further ado, I don't even know where to begin, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you know, everyone at home, thank you for listening, watching wherever it is you podcast or vlog. Um, some some feelings today going on, right? Nice weather, uh, you know, getting ready for for the goodness of springtime. Joe, you are headed out when? On Friday or Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. And where are you going? Potomac River. And whereabouts in the Potomac River? We, wa- we launch from Smallwood State Park, so where we always launch at. Uh, south of D.C., Maryland, Southern Maryland kind of area. I forget the exact name of the town. But that is an American Bass Anglers Association event, not an FLW event. Next mm. BFL I have is Santee Cooper on March 27th. So what does the format look like? Is it the same? For the boaters it is. For the coves, it's three fish. Which I uh, not a huge fan of. No, why? Feels kind of cheap to me. I don't know. I, five fish limit feels more like doing the real thing. I don't see why it should be different for the co anglers than than the boaters. I, I just I, it makes me relax too much once I get three in the boat. Like I don't know. It's just a different different kind of game. It makes you think differently. Yeah, I could see that. You, yeah, in the BFL, I mean, five fish, you're grinding all day, and you want to keep up and in, but you can get three fish so quick. I mean, it's, I don't know, it, just, it, it feels different to me. It's in Mulberry, Maryland, is what it's called. Okay. Mulberry State Park, yeah. And you can run up and down the Potomac yeah, as you far as you want to? All the way up into D.C., then all the way down, I mean, pretty much, I mean, if you wanted to, to the mouth of the ocean, like, if you really wanted to run that far. Um, but yeah, pretty much. There's some off limits, which usually is is around the the takeoff area. But besides that, you could really run anywhere you wanted to, as long as you're back in time for weigh-in. So. And what what is your game plan for this? I, we can get into a little bit on uh, you know notes from the field on Friday or whatever. But um... well, the, it's it's been cold up here. Um, today was the first warm day. Um, and it seems like the bite's turning on down there from what I hear. Um, Saturday, what are they calling for? Yeah, so it's supposed to be warm all through the week. And, of course, on Saturday, they're saying 52 degrees. So, you know, they, they should still be pretty active, getting ready to spawn. Pretty, they're going to be pre-spawn, definitely. You know, moving baits, you know, swim jigs, patter baits, lipless crank baits, stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get on. Uh, the finesse. I'll throw the finesse, too. But I would say most people are going to be throwing, like, lipless cranks, swim jigs, chatterbaits, that that type of stuff. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a, a full a full report on that. And then after, hopefully, we're, we aren't talking about how cold it is because it will be beautiful out on Saturday. Sure. Um, I'm so doubtful. I, uh, you're doubtful on the on the weather? I'm doubtful that it's going to be warm, you know, but uh, we'll see. You know, I, I just got to make it through that. And once I get down to 
South Carolina on the 27th. It will be short weather down there when I get down there. Yeah, Brian's. I, I was trying to find a uh, – there's an article today uh, I saw this morning um, when I was drinking my coffee. They were, they were talking about how uh, the COVID year, how it affected the fishing industry. And I'm trying to dig it up, but I can't find it. So it might be a, a next time we talk uh, conversation. But it's on India.com. Yeah, it made a lot um, more people fish is what it did. That's, that's exactly what they're saying. Yeah, they're saying yeah. That, that basically it saved the, uh, the local economies when it came to uh, buying lures and tackle. Oh, yeah, you so can't like get the, anything anywhere. Yeah, they're saying the local tackle shops were, were crushing it this, this all last year into the, I guess this this uh, past holiday season. I think it's all outdoors, all yeah. outdoor things. I went to um, the local sh- ski shop here and I was looking for a jacket a couple weeks ago and I guess two weeks ago now and the woman in there was like, we couldn't keep anything on the shelves. She's like, we sold out of literally everything. She goes, I've mm. never. She's like, we're usually busy, but this year was just an exception. Um, to the amount of busyness she's like we we sold out of everything i was looking for a specific jacket that they didn't have and um she's just like no she's like we couldn't keep it on the shelves um, yeah i know i mean I, I go to susquehanna tackle which is a huge huge tackle shop and all the years before i mean he was always well stocked but last year i mean it was very very slim pickings and also what happened was the companies who manufactured in the united states so along with the big boom they were shut down some of them because of the you know stayed shut down and the fishing industry i guess was not considered uh non-essential non-essential so then then you had that on top of it and i know for a fact there's some companies who are still having troubles filling orders because of just how much they sold out and and i guess the time off so yeah it's a good and bad thing yeah it's it's good for the industry and but i think it's bad for the fisheries right i think um i think it's bad for the outdoor environment in general right we talked a little bit about hiking and the sheer amount of trash that i've found everywhere that i've been this year i mean you, you have places and it's very short-sighted in the government side of shutting bathrooms in public parks um, people are going to use bathroom if there is no bathroom right um, they're going to leave their trash the woods. everywhere you can use the woods and uh, you know it, it yeah, I've uh, well, the funny I've thing that, that. that you mentioned that Smallwood, uh, Smallwood State Park, or I think it's a state park in Mulberry, it's called a trash free park, right? So, you, you know, that's a good carry thing, carry you think. Carry and yeah. carry out, no trash cans anywhere, and trash everywhere. Yep, yeah, I uh, that to me makes no sense not to have any trash cans anywhere. Like Murray was a carry and carry out, but they had like dumpsters before you left at Lake Murray. And there was trash cans you could find to use. But this place, there is none. There's like one area, I don't know if it's going to be there this year, that they had like all contracted, fenced in, that had two dumpsters, I guess, for the, like the employees. And if they caught you like going in there, they're like, no, 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 no. No, no, no you got to take it with you. I'm like, I, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, and speaking of carrying and carrying out, we can transition right from there because, you know, carry um, – what do you guys know about everyday carrier EDC, EDC world, right? Joe, not EDM. We're not talking about dead mouse. We're, we're talking uh, about EDC. I'm um, familiar with South Carolina's and, and Maryland's. Well, and, not, and, not firearms. I mean, although that could be, you know, part of it, I think. But like where we live, I, I think it's a very interesting 
concept, right? I have a friend of mine who sends me pictures of his EDC every so often. And, you know, he lives in a, we'll call it a more friendly state. Um, But he, he is, he takes it pretty seriously. And he sent me an image the other day and it was, you know, he was carrying a pocket knife. He has a flashlight. He's got, of course, his, his, concealed carry he's got you know his wallet he's got his lip balm he's got all these things that go in it and I thought to myself I said I I hate stuff in my pocket and I think Brian's kind of shaking his head yes I'm like like you or not and and you too Joe yeah because it's it I don't know man like I, I think you know and I got this here actually this is I have it on my desk here this is probably one of the only things that I carry daily and I use this non-stop this is my Swiss army knife I, I've had this thing for 15 years and I use it all the time now once again depending upon where I'm going this is what I'm carrying on me along with some chapstick in, in my wallet but that's it like very minimalist wallet um Brian you given the yeah you the know I'm the face. same way I like I, I carry very small you know the same size um pocket knife and uh i would say 90 percent of the time i don't carry chapstick just as that and the cell phone in my in my wallet but my wallet is just a few cards and you know some little bit of petty cash um but it's you know it, what more would you need to carry if i have to take my backpack somewhere uh my backpack is always packed with you know i put a little uh flashlight and um you know just like something like that yeah flashlight and but that's a little bit different, right? When you yeah. have to carry a bag, like you, you start to talk about the whole world of, you know, get home bags and, you know, get out of Dodge or bug out bags, right? Yeah, bug out bag, yep. That's, those are all different topics and you kind of plan somewhat accordingly. And when you go down that, that, I guess that rabbit hole, I mean, there's so much stuff so, in there that's just crazy. I have a buddy who, uh, his pockets like around his waist look like Grambo. So this is a Benchmade knife. You guys can't see the size, but yeah, I don't know, four inches. He yeah. carries two of these. Yeah. Oh, light flashlights. I and mean, this is a heavy flashlight. He always has yeah. two of these on him. I mean, this is all in his belt. So he'll have one in his, like, back to your cargo pants, Mike. He'll have one in the bottom cargo pants, one in the top cargo pants. He'll have his Benchmade, like two of his Benchmades on his belt loop. Then on the other side of his belt, holder thingy he's got cell phone like tactical purse and then he's got like some special wallet he's a tactical purse let's get it's it right a tactical now. purse and then he's got some crazy ass wallet he carries that is a tactical thing but that's how he is everything he does he's gonna have all the the, the, the goofy att- i call him goofy all the goofy attachments like and, and i'm not knocking people that do this right I, i'm not not it's just not for me it's not for me no. but like but what do you like i always think brandon and i always quote right what do you need protection from the germans like <laughs> I, I like for that i mean once again i get it like people who you know it's a big constitutional thing and I, i'm trying to steer away from the whole gun conversation uh, pretty seriously here for a moment but you know like when you start to talk about carrying we'll go back to pocket knives like multiple pocket knives like well for what purpose what are you going to do with two or three pocket knives and even a flashlight like look like most places i go like i've got my iphone like i look like for what i need that's that's perfect like i don't need anything a little bit deeper than that um 
but I do think that there is something to be said, you know, when you are traveling and you have, you know, your car and I keep a backpack in my car and I have some extra clothes in there and things like that, like prepping for the inevitability or the, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for, for the potential of something happening. That's a little bit different than, you know, on-person carry and on-person, you know, everyday carry, right? Like, I think we all kind of agree here because of the type of people we are. I like being light and fast, right? Like I don't want to be weighed down. I don't want my pants to be weighed down. I don't feel comfortable. I mean, if I could be wearing basketball shorts every day, I think that I would be. And I think the two of you would, or at least- I have mine right now. And that's just unrealistic, but um, I, I was, I follow these guys on, on Instagram and there's a bunch of great guys. And a lot of them live in a lot of, we'll say Western states. And rightfully so there where they have a little bit more freedom than we do here on the East Coast, they tend to carry a lot more things. Um, and one of the guys posted something about prepping the other day. And I thought it was kind of interesting because of the world that we live in, I thought, you know, when things kind of hit the fan here, right? The S hit the fan here uh, with everything going on with COVID you know, people were freaking out, right? They went to the grocery store, they were, you know, stockpiling toilet paper, um, you know, just really no rhyme or reason as to what they were doing. And this guy, he, a former Green Beret, I'll link to him, he's got a website, Fieldcraft uh, Survival. Uh, he has kind of built this whole environment of people that do different types of training, firearms, knife training, uh, outdoor training, um, things like that. So he had a, a woman on that was talking about prepping. And it made me realize like, we always keep water in the house, right? Like bottles of water. But when, and if something was hit the fan, right? That water is probably not gonna last very long. That stuff doesn't have a shelf life, really, right? And I was thinking to myself, I said, as prepared as I like to think that I am, I don't think that I am as prepared as I should be, right? Now, Joe, I don't, you and I, we talked a little bit about prepping previously, I think because of the shows that we watch and Brian, I know you have a little bit of food and stuff like that in your house, but do you do anything or have you ever thought of what that looks like? And in, I guess, pre-COVID world, if you were a prepper, we'll say, you're kind of looked down on and people thought you were insane, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like Most people think preppers are insane, yeah, I mean. Right. Because some of the scenarios <laughs> they come up with more than likely aren't gonna happen. 100%. Yeah. I think sometimes I think it's better to know how to survive than, than so much than stock your house yes. full of this stuff. Because, you know, the, and my buddy who has all those crazy clips on his belt, that's one good thing he does. He does have his prep bag, but he only, that bag is what you take if, if you're bugging out. Like, that's it. And in that bag contains things for subsidence of life, you know, that you can use to live and survive, you know. I, sometimes I think it's a better idea than buying like 8,000 barrels of, I don't know, pick whatever you want to pick pickles or whatever, you know, the preppers are going to, you know, prep with, because how are you going to defend your house? I mean, that just puts you in a whole nother ball field. I mean, yeah. A, if you have to leave, how are you going to take that all with you? You're exactly. not. B, if there's ever this scenario that they think of, people are going to come to your shit and your stuff and try to steal it. So are you going to be able to lock that down and protect it? Like what it is, is no. Right. Well, depending on the situation, right? Right. But you know, the, I started watching um, 
Outlander. I don't know if you guys ever watched it. Yeah, I love uh, Outlander. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it for years, and I finally got around to it. And, um, you know, for those of you who are unaware, the premise of the story is is that this woman and her husband go on a honeymoon there in Scotland, and she goes to this ancient ruins, and she touches this thing, and lo and behold, magic happens, and she appears in, what was it, the 16th century Scotland, I think it was 16th, um, might have been 17th, and you know, she was a nurse during World War II. This happens in the 40s and when she winds up going back into the 17th or 16th century. And, um, you know, she luckily has some know-how as to, you know, medicine. And, you know, obviously because she was an army nurse, she knew a lot of things. Um, and they were talking about like valerian root and things like that. And it's like, how would you even begin to like, let's say if things really did hit the fan and you needed to, and let's say you had a bottle of a leave or a bottle of Tylenol on you, right? And that's all you had. You have what, 30 pills in there, maybe, right? 60 pills, 90 pills. It's not going to last a long time. What do you do after that? Um, and it, it was talking to a buddy down the street here and he, he taps trees and he actually gets maple syrup. I said, well, that's kind of cool. I was like, I honestly, I don't even know if I could identify a maple tree. I can identify animals for the most part, but I can't identify a maple tree. Yeah, I'm right? sure you could by the leaf. Well, yeah, yeah, but now this time of year, I'd have no idea. No, right? True. Like, like it, it's kind of crazy to think that, like, you know, all the time that we spend outdoors, you 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 probably wouldn't know what an edible mushroom is compared to an inedible or, or toxic mushroom. Neither would I. You, <laughs> I, I spent my uh, formative years being made fun of for being a Boy Scout, but I truly learned all this stuff from being a boy scout as a kid and that's why i think like there's invaluable lessons to you know to those types of organizations yeah they had their troubles but you know like there's certain like it doesn't need to be with that but learning that kind of stuff from a young age from let's say someone you know or you know family friend whoever you know your own father whoever that that's the important stuff to me it's like all right you know we, we went camping in the middle of winter during a rainstorm and we're looking at each other everyone's freezing me you and cousin mike and i said oh i got this and i started a fire during a rainstorm was windy you know when it's freezing cold out no problem that's because you're a fire starter but that's neither yeah, here nor there but i you know that's skills that you learn you know, that's what i'm saying though those like types of survival skills of you know whatever is, is really important i remember i remember being you know a young kid and i would point the trees like oh this is that type of tree Oh, this one's birch beet. I'd pull like a, a branch off and, you know, just start chewing on it. And uh, that's, you know, that's information. I think that's actually important. People should know, you know, you should be, all right. So, you know, if, if the mushrooms, you know, look this way, you shouldn't have, them. you know, I'm not even going to get into mushroom because I no, please don't. <laughs> we, but, don't um, we don't need that kind of, kind of problem. My friend was life. a huge Grateful Dead fan and I know pretty well which which ones are the edibles which ones are the poisonous <laughs> yeah he also grew up in a farm so i mean that's i'm telling the truth i mean he had a book when we were growing up called like mushrooms which ones are edible and which ones do what I mean, that's but, neither here nor there but it's crazy but even but even right. the, the, the berry stuff like think no, about how man. how uh the guy the kid from um McCandless. yeah yeah he, he died up in in, uh, in alaska because he ate the wrong berries it's like all right if you see animals but, not uh, eating the berries you have a problem the first part is he, he didn't even know how to dress an animal. He would have been like, to live. Like, I don't know. That whole story, like, in itself, I love it. And it's a great story. And he seemed yeah. like a great guy. But to me, there was, all, 
it's it's frustrating because there's a whole like checklist of why you should not do this if you don't know these things. And it was like, don't know that, don't know that, don't know that. And, and you know, you go do that. Like, that's where, Brian, you were saying mentorship. Like that's where a mentorship yeah. would have really come in handy. And and you know, when you talk about prepping, like you can even take it like remove kind of the end of the world scenarios for a second and oh, say yeah. like how many times like i told this story about the the friend of mine who got lost up at one of the mountains that she that i hiked all the time and she was freaking out and didn't know where she mm -hmm. was like if you were stuck out there overnight would you know what to do like yeah. i think you would know what to do i think i would know what to do plus i think i if i could find water i'd be fine like you know i i can build the shelter um but I don't think that if it's for an extended amount of time with the present knowledge that majority of people have, majority of people wouldn't be able to survive because you're not going to be able to forage. You're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know how to build things that are necessary to survive, right? Um, and that's kind of, I guess, where well, There's an old song concerned. called A Country Boy Will Survive and Country Boys Can Survive because they know how to do certain things to survive. I have no doubt if I got lost in the woods and had to stay there for two, three, four days, I would survive. No doubt. I wouldn't be lost for two, three, or four days unless I was in some remote crazy remote area then yeah but not gonna happen you're, you're no, not gonna I, get lost in baltimore county no there i mean there's areas by me like northern baltimore county, yeah. that could easily happen and i'm sure it does but it wouldn't happen to me and I, I i know i could survive I, I i don't i don't have doubt in that now if you put me in somewhere like in alaska to survive that would be different you know i would have to brush up on a lot of stuff but yeah well and that's where I think if you're in a place like that, you know, having that firearm becomes incredibly important, right? Like I'm a big proponent, especially in the wilds. You never know what you're going to come across. You need to protect yourself. Um, but like up there where literally everything can kill you, that's yeah. if, if, you, if you're lost up there and imagine not having a firearm to hunt with or a firearm to protect yourself with, like that, your chance of survival is going to dwindle pretty damn quick. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I mean, I, you're dead. I mean, I, I don't think there's, you know, I guess you could make a spear and try to spear shit, but they're probably going to eat you before you could kill them. I mean, that, that's a whole other world. I mean, that's going full circle now to last week's episode when we were talking about the edge, right? Yeah. Spear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I, one of my goals long term is to continue to learn right? Like, obviously, like, I tend to focus a lot on, on fishing, because that's where my mind is a lot of the time, right? Like fly fishing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I like to inject a little bit of outside knowledge as well, right? Like, I think that reading is part of the story, but part of it has also has to be doing and learning from mentors, right? Um, and the more time you spend in the outdoors, the more you realize that you're comfortable but you truly respect it and understand that this is bigger than you. And you have the ability to, if you're not careful, really have things degrade pretty quickly. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I could perform surgery on myself. That's my personal opinion. So. Oh, like that guy cut his leg, his arm off out in the uh, Midwest. 127 hours, right? Yeah. Wild. With, with the pocket knife the size of michael's knife yeah, this is a i guess your body just goes into such shock i mean I've, I've been injured horribly in a car accident and you do you go into shock i mean you don't yeah. feel anything at all you'll feel it after 
you're out of the situation, yeah, then, then it sets in. But that's the only thing I can figure is that he was just in such – the mind was just in such overdrive. Like, I got to survive. I'm hurt. I'm in shock that I'm not going to feel me sawing my arm off with a, with a pocket knife. Crazy. That, that, that story is insane. Absolutely insane. But that's like survival, right? Like you, you have what it is you learn along the way, right? You have these little skills that are important, but like there's something deep inside all of us ingrained in our DNA that just like animals, you know, we watch the, the videos on nature's metal, right? Of these animals surviving with horrific wounds and horrific attacks by other animals. And you see at the end of the day, we're just animals, right? Like we have this drive to survive and we will do what's necessary when we're put in these extenuating circumstances. Now, we've kind of removed ourselves in so many ways that, you know, we live in these microcosms, these like beautiful little bubbles where we like to pretend that nothing else exists. Um, but if you remove us from this, I'm pretty sure most people, you know, that fight or flight would kick in. And um, I think a good portion of people, at least people that we would, we know and people that would probably be listening to this would be fine. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, on that, Brian, you have any, uh, since you're up on my screen here right now, any, anything else you'd like to add on that? Uh, on that? No. I mean, I have some other news and notes. And, yeah. Uh, world Jump of outdoors. It. So uh, there's been a big fight about beach replenishment this year. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, there's a few big fights going on in Jersey. One one is about beach replenishment. The other is about the borough deal is uh, trying to uh, sell off the piece of land again at the end of Roosevelt. And I have no problem calling out the spot because you know it's one of the most known surf spots. But uh, that that house that's on the corner there, I guess, has been trying to grab it for for years. And you know they rebuilt that bluff uh, in Deal Joe. I don't remember the spot. But uh, they rebuilt the bluff and it created another. I don't know how big the land is, but it's it's you know it's it's enough to warrant these people offering, you know, millions of dollars for that little chunk of land, which I'm sure that the town could use. Um, but the problem is, is that at the end of your street, you're supposed to have beach access, right? And that's the, the federal law. If, if you, if the road leads to the ocean, it has to provide yeah. access to the beach. Um, not to mention that all of our tax dollars paid for the beach and for that wall. And that extra land. Um, so that that's a big fight going on. Um, I know, don't I understand posted. why that goes. On. I mean, I really only hear about stuff like this in Jersey. I guess you hear about it occasionally out there, like Malibu and stuff. Well, California, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah, percent, yeah. dude. All no. of, I, I mean, there are some mega houses down in the Carolinas, and nobody tries to claim like private beach access or anything mm -hmm. like that. I I I personally haven't seen it. Maybe it has happened. I just don't know about it. But this has been yeah. going on in Jersey for a while now. I mean, it's, crazy. We, I posted on my story, or I should say Hacker Outdoors podcast um, story on Instagram, I think late last week. Um, it is an issue. We, we used to see this when we would go up to Rhode Island and even Cape Cod, right? Like you'd have people walking literally up your driveway and through your, your little path through the dunes there to get on mm -hmm. the beach. And you'd be like, be like, who is this person? It's like, oh, it's public access. They can do whatever they want. Like it, yeah. you, it, you may own the property, but you have to provide a path in order for them to get to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. I think deal kind of deal kind of pisses me off because it seems like every few years deal goes through this issue 
right? Like yeah. they, they try and chip away at one way of stopping or blocking people from accessing the beach. And then mm -hmm. that falls through because of lawsuits or whatever. And then they go and they try and do something else. Um, and, yeah. and yes, it's all, you can argue it's one block. Okay, fantastic. But that's not the point. And, and you hit on it. It is, you know, we paid for it. It's the, the people's beach, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be a problem. I mean, yes, it's got to be frustrating looking out your door and seeing surfers, you know, parking Changing there. Changing their wetsuits. Right. Yeah. But come on, man. Like, you still, you live in a multi-million dollar house. Mm -hmm. and that, that's part of living at the beach. That's something yeah. you sign up for when you live at the beach. I can tell you where our condo is. Every block has two access points to the beach. And even when you go back, like back a street, like the houses that are back there, they have like little walkways between the houses that are public access to the beach. Like there's never, a la, yeah. if you watch the movie with John Candy called Summer Rental back in 1980, the house is right by the, easement to go to the beach i mean you don't own the beach you don't no you want to no. own that part of the beach the people stop paying taxes on it and your ass pays for it in the story in the question i don't care if you have a million dollars or not that doesn't give you some special access that other people don't have i mean these are the things that go with living in certain areas like you knew this when you you know signed up you, for it. you signed yeah. up for it it's not like surprise, haha, -ha, suckers, we got you. Like clearly, you can go look back in time and see that this is how it is. Like, I, I just don't get it. I don't but, get it. No. But I will say, you know, we're we're lucky enough, and I think you you hit on it, Brian. Um, we have the Surf Rider Foundation is mm -hmm. you know obviously involved in this. Thankfully, uh, the New Jersey chapter has done a great job at kind of stopping these kind of problems from happening in the past. And I have no doubt that they will come to some sort of resolution here, but it's just, it, it's like for everyday people, right? And I, I would kind of lump myself in there. It's, it's frustrating to hear that and say yeah. like, you're like, come on, man. Like just. The, for me, the, the most frustrating part about all this is, I mean, I, I, was, I was surfing Darlington during which is one of the beaches in deal uh which is not just a spot blown, it's not spot i'm not blown the spot it's every not spot everybody knows it and i was there during sandy right. when it was two feet and then within three hours it was about 10 feet and uh you know i committed most most of my adult life surfing that spot and then you know i had to move on once uh, once they ruined it but you know that very next year they they dismantled the long jetty that was there they dismantled the one that was you know a couple blocks north and uh you know now they're gonna have to keep pumping sand because they they got rid of the jetties and you know or they shortened the jetties and the sand flow That's... is just constant and you know it's 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 frustrating um the s solutions that they're coming up with like you know they they're gonna pump sand again down in bayhead they're gonna pump sand again up in uh up in monmouth beach and it, it's they, it's not fixing the problem. You're putting a bandaid on it, and uh, you know the, the only way to resolve it is to either not let people build houses on a on a barrier island, or you know put in long jetties. Um, and you know the the public should should be mad about it, to be honest, because I mean, what fifty million dollars? I think they said it's going to cost to do you know to beach replenishment just for this year to repair what was done in two nor'easters, just two from the winter. Um, you know, there wasn't a heavy, heavy winter with when it came to storms. 
So it's it's a uh, that's fifty think, million dollars of New Jersey ta- taxpayer money. No, but you you say that and it's not. I think you know resonate on that for a moment because I don't think a lot of people. I have not heard that number and it, say it one more time and, and make sure that million dollars, fifty million dollars, just to replenish how many beaches, Brian? Uh, so far, I think what they're going to do is they're going to do from Manasquan all the way up to, to Sandy Hook again, you know, and it's, they're going to do one at a time. Who knows how far they'll get. Um, I'm sure the more affluent neighborhoods or beaches will, will get the sand first, um, you know, setting it up for the summer months, but, uh, this is not going to affect our access as the general public. So you're still gonna have to pay your 15 bucks to get onto the beach, you know, or you're gonna have to fight for a parking spot in the beach towns that don't pay, you know, that you don't have to pay to get on the beach. And it's, you know, you get your tickets and you pay those too. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, well, did, did you go down? I don't know if you went down this year. Did you go to um, Point Pleasant? No, no. So I, every, I, I don't, I think I went on the other side of the river maybe once or twice this summer. I think it was once actually. Okay. Oh, yeah, I was um, down there once. And did you when see the pipes? Did where they yeah. did they have the pipes running across the beach and everything? Yeah, Donna mm-hmm. had gone down. I I don't like venturing that far south uh, for a few reasons. No. Like the damn parkway. Um, but she said that there were pipes like literally running yeah. up and down. Like you had to walk over and they had to create almost like steps and stuff like that. And there's like a huge true cost. I mean, not just dollar amount, but just environmental impact and everything that I think just kind of goes out the window that people don't think about. And um, I think when you say 50 million people are like, well, you divvy that up between all the, you know, how many millions of people live in New Jersey? What is it? $5 a person? Well, that's 9 million residents, right? I mean, residents in Jersey. I think it's something like that. Yeah. It adds up, man. That adds up really quickly. Uh, Frustrating. Um, You're going to kill the surf? surfing jerseys what they're going to do they're going to kill it it also ruins the fisheries and that's that's another thing and that's why you see a big unity push for for uh you know watermen because you know they, they'll they'll all talk about it you know every on the fishing forum it's, you know when, when they as soon as they start doing the replenishment the fishing's dead so you're not going to get summer fluke from the beach you're not going to get stripers if they start in the early spring they're all going to push offshore and you know it's right they're all going to be avoiding the area mm-hmm yeah, because well, they're gonna get sucked up in big pipes and shut out the beach. Eight point eight, eight point eight eight two million as of two thousand nineteen. Eight eight two. Jersey's one of the heaviest populated. I mean, think about this. Pennsylvania is a huge state. Pennsylvania has twelve point eight million. You guys aren't a big state. Eight point eight eight two million. <laughs> Most densely. Yeah, Most densely it, populated. Yeah. One of the most densely populated cities, I think, in the country is Gutenberg, New Jersey, which is in, uh, I believe, it's in. Hudson County, I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, that's just unbelievable. It's a tiny little town and they have just such a massive amount of people that live there. Um, Pretty wild. Yeah. Well, moving on from that, let's let's keep trucking along. Brian, you said you had a couple things. Yeah. So the second thing I want to bring up was uh, the World Surf League pulled it off. I don't know if you, you guys saw this, but uh, somehow they charted a full 747. I saw this, and- yeah piled in every surfer and every member of the WSL. So every film crew member, everybody that could, that passed a COVID test. Uh, a few people failed by the way, but um, everyone that passed loaded them on the plane with all their bags. Um, they had to pay for their seats. So the WSL did not pay for the seats and the price is ridiculous. The economy is like, was like 4,500 or something like that. Um, 
So if like you're bringing your wife, you paid for two seats. Like that's how this worked. And uh, they flew out to Australia. Australia said, you can make it work as long as you were going to, they designated a hotel for them and said, everyone that flies in has to stay in their hotel, in their hotel room for 14 days. And as long as they test okay throughout that 14 days, you know, multiple times, and then they could run, they can run the comp and all these people can enter the comp and, you know, set up whatever they have to do. So they Did, pulled it off. Can I, can I ask a question on this? Cause I didn't see this. Yeah. They couldn't leave their hotel room or they couldn't leave the hotel. I think it's hotel. All right. uh, they didn't say. I don't but think I could be cooped up in a hotel room for you, 14 days, man. You see all these, these, you know, all these superstar surfers, they're, you know, they're, they're posting their hotel rooms with their assault bikes and, you know, all their Pilates gear and whatever yeah. they're doing. And Chloe and, and, you know, it was like, you know, it's a picture of him, like, you know, going like this in the sun with his arms up and it says, you know, I'm getting my daily sun in they're, they're in Sydney somewhere. Um, I think it's Sydney or Perth. I can't I, remember. I would be skipping. I would be skipping it. I wouldn't care. I would well, no, no way. Kelly, Kelly is injured again he said his feet i was like yeah right kelly was not going to sit in a hotel for two weeks no i'd go nuts i, I couldn't yeah i mean it doesn't make sense to me because if you tested negative before you left and everybody on the plane has tested negative before you left and they put these stringent guidelines on to get onto that plane why the hell would they not just test you when you got there again and be like they're negative and let them go? Like, why stick these people in a hotel for fourteen days and torture the shit out of them right. when they went through this strict beeping protocol to get there? Like, I, I would be Kelly Slater, I'd be like, dude, I got a hangnail. I'm on injured reserves. Peace, mm-hmm. brother. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> I'm going to Bali. But, I don't know. Me as a fan, whatever. They, these guys get paid enough money. I want to see them in. In three weeks, and I hope there's a huge cyclone that rolls through to, for the first comp because I want to see giant barrel and, and pure blue water. Amen to that. So, I, I, I see, get uh, it. Mikey, but... I want to see Mikey Wright's uh, his mullet. Uh, yeah, he's got badass in mullet. all its glory. Do you hear he's doing a mullet campaign because the schools in Australia are saying that you can't have mullets anymore? I didn't hear that, but I love yeah, his mullet. It's so funny. I mean, I don't know. I, so, I, I do feel for them though because, yeah. That was a hassle just to get there. The stuff they had to do just to get yeah. there. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's another conversation for another day, and just gets me yeah. fired up. I think so. You know, the the constant conversation is what if the WSL fails? So not in like fails getting contests on. I mean, like, what if they just don't exist anymore? What's next? And uh, the common thought is surfing australia which runs the most competitions in the world they would just take over and make their own world tour which would probably be a little more effective because then you have a big government behind it to make sure that you know permits and everything are seen sought to right around the world and, you know it becomes more of a government body um makes you wonder if if, if uh because are more sports run that way <sighs> i don't know and i don't like that i, I don't know like the they aren't what would yeah. happen is somebody there, – there's always this, like, you know, there was a World Surf League before. It was called something different. It wasn't ASP. always – ASP. Somebody else would buy it and restart yeah. it, and, and it, that's just how it works. I mean, fishing can be a pure example of how that works. I mean, they well, fold. Somebody else comes and it's new and it's, it's good. Do, do you fine. remember, Joe? Do you remember when you had, you had the shop back in the day? 
uh, back in the late nineties, yeah. there was always the talk about the dream tour. Yeah. And it was like yeah. when they started going to the, you know, they stopped at some point going to like, you know, they would go to G land. They would go to, you know, they would yeah. do Tavora, the, uh, Fiji. They would do, uh, you know, to surf cloud break. They would do all the, the dreamy spots, but the reason why they could, because there's less guys. So the common thought now in WSL, we're digging deep down in the world surf surfing is well, 36 surfers on the male side. And I think it's 22 on the female side. It's just too many to run a contest in good waves. And it's just too expensive to get people everywhere and set up the associations, right. Or the permits or whatever they got to do. So if they, if they, if they fail and they made a very small tour and like a smaller, let's say, you know, like a qualifying series, WQS, which they run. Yeah, but the WQS goes all over the world. Yeah, they which say is that, still cool. But they take the tons of guys on that yeah. tour. So them saying this argument doesn't make sense to me. Like back in the 80s, you don't remember this, B, when they would have surf comps, first off, they, they weren't in the winter. They were throughout the year. So these guys mm-hmm. would be going to like Santa Cruz or some, you know, beach break in California in August with, you know, knee-high waves. And there'd be like 200,000 people on the beach with spectators, paid spectators. And they had huge, I mean, they were making money, was flying out their asses. And they were yeah. saying the same thing, like, oh, we're going to have to fold, you know. But meanwhile, that company just, like, profited $9 billion that year. It's like, yeah, we got to fold. They're sticking money down their shirt. Like, do you remember when Hurley bought Nike? Nike bought Hurley. Everybody's like, oh, what sellouts, Hurley? Such such sellouts. There's huge sellouts. Now, dude, I mean, everybody went to Nike. Like, they would, they'll be fine. I, I think that's yeah. just a whole bunch of posturing is what I think it is. A whole bunch of posturing. They have no, they have no real competition, you know, what's the competition in the WSL? Who's your competitor? So I don't think there is. There isn't one. Like, yeah. no. You know, and they own the game. They own the game. The thing like, I could see happening, and I thought about this recently because, uh, you know, we didn't get actually a uh, chance to talk about this. I don't think we need you, Joe. But uh, that the Travis Rice series that he's running, uh, where they, you know, I forget what they call it again, but where yeah, they – yeah, Red Bull sponsors it. Yeah, the Red Bull sponsors it. They get a, you know, they go and they just do a giant line and then they score them. And Mick Morris won it. Uh, I could see something like that happening. So it'd be like, yeah, all right, that's you know, like if, if WSL stopped, Red Bull would. I bet I would bet you, I would bet money. Red Bull would be one of the companies say, all right, we'll start our own World Surf League. We'll yeah. go to Cloudbreak, Cavaru, Pipeline. Boom, done. Volcom. I mean, Volcom, Volcom Pipe Pro. I mean, these companies. There would be something else that steps into place that would be just as profitable and make just as much money. And I can't see where the WSL is losing money, especially in, in the world of social media now. And probably just the money on advertising dollars you're making through their YouTube channel is probably more than you and I and Michael can imagine. It's, it's, it's off the charts. Like, oh, without a doubt. 100% yeah, I mean, without a doubt. You look at the views. Like they do that weekly thing now in WSL. It's like Mick Fannin and like three other people. And they yeah. talk about like the week's events. I mean, that's getting like uh, almost a million views every week. So I miss watching Mick surf. That's <laughs> a lot. So if these uh. companies are saying they're having financial issues, they need to look in house. Is the big deal because how many guys are yeah. on the tour? So you got I think was it thirty five guys? I think it's thirty six and eighteen, right? Isn't that what it is? So so let's say you may, maybe less than a hundred, so seventy five to hundred people. If they can't afford to run a league with a hundred people in it. I mean, you have all these other leagues who do it, and I mean, I don't know. Yeah, 
I, I, I think that there's something else going on there that they yeah, need yeah. To take a deep, hard look at themselves. Because and, and... Brian and I watch these comps. And I mean, how many people, when you're watching these streams, you know, they're through the roof with the amount of people watching them. Like, yeah, they, they clog up the, um, the bandwidth yeah, sometimes. They actually they, show exactly. it. It's like yeah. The first round had like 10 million for, for, uh, for the pipeline one. It's like, I don't think there's 10 million surfers, but there is. <laughs> People like, yeah, when pipe comes on, I mean, people who don't surf are, are watching. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, you know, surfing, skating, and so forth is now, it's no longer like the outside, you know, sport. I mean, back in the day, if you call them sports, these guys would be like, or, or women would be like, you're assholes. This isn't a sport. Like yeah. skaters and, and surfers back in the day didn't want to be lumped in with, with uh, the label of a, you know, a sport. But now here we are. Right. Just like last year, B, when they like all the companies were like rearranging all their pros because they're saying they weren't making money because of COVID. They, that was their great reset. They had a moment to realize who wasn't popular, and they could dump them and, and just you know keep going with who they had. And I, I thought it was actually I thought that was a move that should have been done. In the but first they place. were trying to blame it on like John John's contract, yeah. another guy's big contract. No. But whoever John John was sponsored for, John John made them money. Like yeah, the. the uh, I don't know. Well, I think there's somebody in that industry who's making lots of money, and and or a group, and and they're just they don't want to shell out. I've seen that in other industries where people who own companies in certain industries—I'm not going to say what industries—the guys at the top are making tons and tons and tons of money, and you know they're happy. But if it drops a little bit, they're like, Argh! you know, but <laughs> something's off. Yeah, it sure is. I think we're going to see in a couple of weeks how the, all, all this is going to play out. So once contest one and two get through, I think, I think we'll hear more about what's actually going on in the surf industry a little bit. And it's going to be I interesting. Hope. I, I hope, hope, I hope they get a cyclone because I, I just, I want giant blue barrels and sharky water. Blue barrels and sharky water. There we go. That's uh, a, <laughs> that should be the title of this, huh? Pretty yeah, good. <laughs> well i think um we'll leave it at that where oh we've been going for quite a little bit gentlemen i appreciate it um as always everyone at home thank you for listening thank you for watching and we will be back later in the week i am obviously not up in lake george this week so here we are they will not have ice apparently past this week so there's your little uh lake uh, george i should have bet you because what, what you were saying last time like, <laughs> oh they're gonna have ice to may uh, to may they're no, saying they, they have no, no way in hell so they're not gonna have ice fishing there's still gonna be ice on the lake for quite a while won't be thick enough it won't be thick enough to fish on so um That'll be the problem. And, and to think about it, actually, it drove past the lake locally here, and the, there was still ice on it. I would not go skating on it. I would not even touch it with my feet um, for fear of falling through because they're apparently on Lake Capac on this past weekend. We uh, Sister-in-law's boyfriend's family lives up there, said that they were watching this. A uh, guy was riding his quad, and the quad just fell half through the ice. The guy was fine, um, but it took, like, better part of a day for the fire department to come out and try and pull this guy's quad off the ice and out of the water good times so, be smart you all you're... make fun of us down south you guys got guys running across quads on thin ice <laughs> yeah, well, hey we ricky make... watch this <laughs> ricky bobby <laughs> <laughs> well we'll leave on that gentlemen always a pleasure
Later. Later. Man.